Hi, welcome everybody. My name is Ernesto Palomino. Uh, welcome to the uh, American Experience podcast, uh, where we will be focusing on everything from I uh, just the culture, the American experience from different individuals that are in the arts, uh, where there's construction, um, military, um, just anything that really, really adds to the experience. Uh, and culture-wise, you know, it doesn't really need to be a specific topic, but uh, anything that we find uh, intriguing and as far as uh, culture value into it, for sure. Um, so I want to introduce Angelica Guerra. She works for Empire Roofing in our El Paso office. I, I also say we because I actually work for Empire as well. I'm a part of the marketing department. And um, last week, we did a video honoring veterans. And she was really gracious enough to share that a story about her dad uh, who was a World War II vet and has a really cool um, just a really cool story uh, obviously everyone that has served and um, just served in that war I think is just probably one of the best uh, I would say generations uh, in American history uh, but what I thought was really unique was the fact that you know, him being a Mexican-American, and we obviously don't hear enough stories about these uh, Hispanic and Latino veterans who served during the war. I thought that it, it was just a really cool, heartfelt story that she shared with me. And I wanted to just uh, kind of give an opportunity for everyone to kind of hear that story. And, um, you know, she was really gracious enough to come on. And and as I told her, I was like, you know, it's my first episode. It's it's not something that I've ever really done. But um, I wanted to kind of uh, put that energy out there and see what would happen. And um, so just to kind of kick it off, uh, Helica, I'll open the floor to you, and, you know, introduction to yourself and just kind of we'll take it from there. Okay, my name is Angelica Guerra. I was born and raised in El Paso. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked for Empire Roofing for 12 years now, and I'm the office manager here at the local, at the local office. And uh, uh, like he, Ernesto was saying, he's the one that called me last week, and you know, touched base with me when I sent submitted the picture of my of my dad. This picture I sent him, he was like 18 years old, so he was still a he was still a baby to me. Right. Started asking me questions. It was pretty cool. And and. You know, one of the things that I, I shared with you was that I, I really am a big fan of history. And to to have that story with you, to me, it was like your dad was a walking piece of history. And I think sometimes it is regretful that we don't, I think within our culture, uh, we do revere our elders a little bit more. Like our grandparents are always the ones that live in the back room of the house. <laughs> but um, we're, we do have some sort of reverence for them. And you know it's sometimes you know to to come across a veteran that served in a historic time um whether it's in vietnam or even afghanistan even as recent um sometimes we don't really kind of sit to kind of absorb that you know moment to to kind of converse with them and it's not because oh tell me about the the gruesome stuff that you saw but it's more of a you know hey what you know what was the motive for you or what what made you Obviously, whether it was political or maybe it's just about the brotherhood that they that they feel or if it was a duty for them to at the time to be like, it's an honor thing, like I must go over there. So from that perspective, like I think I want to start with um, 
just the genesis of, of of his life in El Paso and during the time and in, in, in that time in Texas and what you know and, and when he got drafted like I mean I can only imagine right like you have to go like it's not like it's optional right it's more of like now you're going so I guess like the fear or maybe the unknown maybe he was just like yeah I'm getting I'm ready to go and kill Nazis I mean I don't know but it was just uh, just kind of starting from that starting point of like what he might have felt at that time and what he did kind of share from the beginning of that of that period for him. As you said, he was a baby. So uh, just kind of walk us through a little bit of what that part of his life was like in the, in, in the beginning. Well, he was like I, I had mentioned to you before, he was the youngest sibling. So he was the, the baby of the family and um, he was drafted right before his graduation from high school. And um, he was shipped over to Germany. And that's where he uh, served his time. And um, I do remember him saying that there was some days that he was just so afraid, but he had a lot of faith. His mother had a lot of faith. So he had a lot of faith and he, he relied on that a lot to get him through the, to get him through the rough days and the, the hard days and the days of seeing a lot of his friends die and uh, have to deal with that. Now, was he part of a specific, um, like, was he part of the first wave of soldiers that went over there? Or uh, was he part of the invasion of Normandy? Or did he, was he, did he, like, parachute in somewhere? Or, or how did he kind of end up in the in the European theater? If I remember correctly, they were just brought in when Normandy happened. Mm-hmm. But how he ex- exactly got there, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Even like, do you recall anything that your grandmother probably shared with you at the time as to how she felt when she knew that her son had to go over there? Well, she was devastated, of course, um, because my dad went at the same time as his cousin, which is my grandmother's sister's son. Mm -hmm. And um, they were both the same age and stuff. And um, he didn't make it home. And it was so odd because my, my dad says that he remembers that that day it's like he woke up and he knew he was his time because he went to the platoon um what do you call the the chappies not the chappies um the priest mm-hmm. he went to the priest and asked him to give him a blessing because he knew he, he knew his day was coming and he died that day wow and my dad used to talk about that and he'd get really teary-eyed and stuff but i remember him talking about that and of course my aunt was inconsolable for for a very very long time because that that was her only son mm-hmm. and i don't think now that i don't know how the military does it now but uh for only children do they still i mean if there was a draft would they still take them i don't know um well you know I'm, I, I don't claim to be a, a military expert since i've never served but um i think i believe that if you are an only child um they don't they, they don't I, I could be wrong but um i think that was the premise of like the whole saving private ryan movie that he was yeah. the only surviving brother and they wanted to send him back home because his other three brothers had all been killed in combat um I, you know i can tell you from you know i was when i was in high school when september 11th happened i was a senior in high school and i mean it was just like the the recruiters didn't have to approach us it was like a lot of my friends were like running in droves to go join uh, Marines. Like I have a lot of Marine friends that served. Uh, a couple of them went to the Navy, Air Force. Uh, 
And I was one of those that wanted to go and join the, uh, the Air Force. But uh, I don't know if you know this, but me being a dreamer, I at the time, I don't know, they just didn't take me. Um, I don't know if it was a blessing in disguise or what, but uh, <laughs> it was a saving grace. But at the time, um, yeah, I remember uh, they they didn't accept me because I was not an American citizen. Um, but I don't uh, I don't know if, if that's exactly the way they do it now. But I have heard before that. Yeah, if you're like the only child, they don't they don't necessarily take you. But who knows? I, I don't know if I mean, I, I would assume if you're just determined to go, you, you, they would probably, you know, walk around some channels to make it happen. But I just I just can't confirm that. But um, not. Uh, but at that time, I would imagine that, you know, comparing it to like if, you know, if the Saving Private Ryan movie from that from that standpoint if, if that was the the real goal was because he was the only left son then i would think that there is some merit to that yeah probably yeah um you know also with him being drafted as young as he was uh, i often think too like his during his life in El Paso, you know, how was El Paso like at the time if if your grandmother's ever shared anything and if, obviously his his firsthand experience as you know as he was growing up because I think I mentioned this to you where that sometimes we forget that our parents were our age at one point <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like you know was he life in El Paso at the time which was what the the thirties forties in the forties yeah yeah forties so how was life for him at the time like let's let's go back a little bit prior to him being drafted like uh, he was born in El Paso right and raised yes. Okay, and so how was life like at the time? Well, I mean, he worked to help support his his mom. Um, he uh, um, she worked at uh, there was this huge, huge laundromat mm-hmm. that uh, I guess would clean uniforms and stuff like that, and that's where she worked. And of course, she didn't make a lot of money, mm-hmm. so my dad would take you know odd and end jobs here and there to you know to try and help out at help out at home. And when he came back from the service. Um, he took care of her financially 100%. Wow. And, and so did he come from a big family? He had a brother and a sister mm-hmm. that, that were much older than him. There's like a 15-year mm, difference between him and his brother. Oh, wow. So, yeah, there was a, there was a pretty big gap. Mm. And so was he the youngest? Yes, he was the youngest. Wow. And so the other ones didn't 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 get to serve. Am I right? No, he's the only one. He's the only one. His brother never served in the military. Wow. And did most? Well, obviously, you do have family that still have roots there. So, um, as far as like when when Veterans Day or Memorial Day comes. Uh, is there a special type of uh, obviously other than what the nation does, but is there a certain remembrance that you guys have for them or for him? I'm sorry. Flowers for the, at the cemetery. I mean, he's buried at the military cemetery here in El Paso, Fort Bliss National Cemetery. Uh-huh. That's where he's. That's where he's. He was laid to rest. And it's a pretty big. It's a pretty big cemetery. It's not as big as Arlington, mm-hmm. but it's a pretty big. It's a pretty big cemetery. And would you would you say that perhaps a lot of those uh, resting there are from the Latino on the Latino side? 
Oh yeah, definitely. You can you, you when you see all the different headstones and stuff, you see a lot of Hispanic names, a lot. And and that's the thing that I I just think that it was so cool on on one side of of what you shared with me because you know that's not really something that is really talked about a lot. You know, I, I feel like uh, you know Latinos are pretty much underrepresented uh, when it comes to the war films that we see as well because you know um, I think we touched on a couple of those films uh, with Fury and how Michael Pena was one of like the was representative of that you know and uh, I think even watching some of those special features that the director talked about that how he wanted to represent the Latino uh, perspective from that because they were involved Um, and him being just I, I think in my in my personal opinion, I think he's one of the, the great like actors, Latino actors that are out there right now. And um, I, I thought it was really something that kind of touched me that I was like, you know what, that is true. Like, let me do a little bit of research on this and find out, you know, the, the many Latinos that served. And yeah, I was like really amazed that it's just been something that I don't know, for whatever reason, it's not something that's ever really much talked about. But um you know, I do also remember you telling me that he was a Purple Heart recipient. And can you did he ever share how he got that uh, the medal? The I'm sorry, His, I didn't hear your question very good. What was it again? When uh, you mentioned uh, in our conversation that he had um, he had been a Purple Heart recipient. Oh, I'm sorry, a Purple Heart recipient. Oh. Did he ever mention uh-huh. what? Or how he, he the, the mission that he got on that, um, that he went on to receive it? They had gone through one of the German concentration camps, and he was with his platoon. And it was actually one of the guys that was with him that saved his life because my father was shot in the, on the side of his face and his, on his head, like... You, we know where your eye is, so go down about an inch. Wow. And the bullet went in right there. And um, he completely lost his hearing in that ear. And uh, he was in the hospital, and uh, they shipped him to a hospital in England. And he was there for like six months before they shipped him back to the States for, for recovery. But he said that he remembers being shot and his friend that was with him applied pressure somehow on the wound and that kept him from bleeding out and how he didn't end up with more severe damage than what he did is probably a miracle because to me i mean normally people when they get shot in the head or the face those aren't really survivable Mm -hmm. you know wounds but i think he 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 had a purpose to come home and you know he had a little guardian angel watching him and that's why he made it home and he did you could see the dimple it looked like a probably just a little bit smaller than a a penny Mm -hmm. so he has a dimple on that side of his on that side of his face where the bullet and went in wow um and even then like um once he he did come home and you know obviously like going through something like that obviously stays with you and not just not just physically obviously because of the scar but you know emotionally and I think internally it's just probably something that he just kind of I guess 
you know, I would just, I wouldn't assume to speak for him, of course, but uh, for him to just kind of put that in the back of his mind as far as he could, but to survive something like that. And, and something that you touched on was, um, you know, I know movies kind of give us a different perspective. Um, and I know you mentioned that you took him to watch uh, Saving Private Ryan and he was uh, he was tearful about it. But can you kind of go into a little bit as to why he had that reaction? He said he's seen a lot of war movies from like Midway back in when that came out in the 40s or 50s or whatever. And all, you know, other military movies that have that have come out. And he said that Saving Private Ryan was the most realistic to what he had experienced when he was over there. So, I mean, that kind of like put us aback because it's like, oh, my God, we can we actually I mean, I know it's a movie. But for him to say that that's what he went through, that the the fear that he felt when they were being shot at, and I don't know, just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but to see that movie and for my dad to say that's how he felt, that was like, wow. Right. And from, he said that from all the movies, he says that was the, that's the most realistic one he had ever seen. From, that came close to what he went through. And from a fear perspective, like, I couldn't have imagined that. Like, the fear that a lot of these young men probably felt it's probably something that I mean I don't know like because you know you're going into combat like as soon as like I remember uh, seeing the opening scene of that movie and they're in those um, floating compartments that they're about to reach uh, I believe it was Normandy Um, as soon as you see that they open those hatchets it's like dead 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 or a lot of them that jumped overboard, they drowned. Um, it's like, how do you not? It's just, I don't know. Like if it's like the hand of God, for sure, that has to Definitely. be upon you for you to. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't know. Like it, to me, it's almost like you have no words to kind of explain that type of courage. Like, but um, even then, like, and I don't know what his political stance were at the time, but did he ever talk about um his um i guess from his perspective like was he was he more of like i'm going because i'm going to go eradicate the world from this evil or was he like i'm just going because it's my duty or i'm going because they're telling me to go like did he have what kind of sense of pride did he have not just one going but then surviving it and knowing that he, he was go ahead, i'm sorry mm-hmm. go ahead no go ahead um sorry. just uh, on the back end was to to say and did he feel uh, a pride, a sense of pride, uh, because he did help eradicate and change the the history of the world. Because had we not had a foothold in Normandy, then who knows um, if little things like those victories that don't happen, um, then it turns the war. You know. Um, so, yeah. did he ever have? that sense of, of pride uh, or or did he and like I said I don't know what his political leanings were but whether it was Democrat Republican independent but I don't think none of that probably matters it's more of like I'm going because I'm going to go eradicate the world of evil or was he more of like it's going because I'm going because it's my duty or honor uh, but you can probably talk more to that obviously um, I think with what he would say and the way he would talk I think he, do- he did it because he felt that he needed to 
and he was always very proud of the service that he had that that you know he had been there he always had his flag on his truck he always had a flag at the house and um he just felt proud that he did something to try and make the world a better place yeah it's heartfelt for sure yeah yeah and, and over the years after you know he he many years after of course and came back and obviously you were when you became of age and so forth uh, how often would he talk about it was he more of like ask me or kind of a hey grandpa how did this go down or was he kind of open um, um no you really had to ask him if he wouldn't just talk about it mm-hmm. um i think it was just too too hard on him Mm-hmm. to talk about it seeing so many of his friends die and stuff so um but if you asked him he would tell you uh-huh. he'd start talking and telling you stories and um tell you the, the fear that he felt and then coming home and having to you know put his life back in order is to figure out what he was going to do now that he couldn't serve in the military anymore because he was honorably discharged mm-hmm. due to the injury of course so, you know, then he came home and started working and taking care of his mom. Mm-hmm. And, so. and obviously, uh, making that transition from, you know, that experience back to just like, okay, now you're back to home, peacetime, you know, in trend, it, it couldn't have, it couldn't have been just like a light switch on and off, right? I'm sure there was uh, a sense of like, okay, well, what do I do now, <laughs> you know? Probably not. I, you know, he never said if he had. I know, as he got older, you know, and uh, I understood. I don't him remember him ever like waking up from having bad nightmares and stuff like that. I don't know if he had that when he was younger. He may have, mm-hmm. but he never he never talked about that. If he did, I gotcha. Um, one of the things that I I do want you to kind of just go into a little bit was that story of him uh being identified by a german lady and uh what i mean the the fear that he probably went through but then how it in how eventually it came out on the other end i I don't want to say or preview it for you but go ahead and, and talk a little bit about that story on that day, um, somehow him and one of his friends had gotten separated from their platoon, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really cold, and they were hungry, and they came across a, upon this farmhouse, and it had chickens, so they were going to go steal the eggs so they could make something to eat. Well, the lady of the house was home, and she caught them in the yard, and they were, of course, terrified because, you know, their first thing is, She's going to turn us over to the to the German soldiers. You know, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And the lady was German, of course. She spoke no English, and she just kind of gestured them inside. So they, you know, they followed. They didn't, you know, argue or anything. They just went in there. And uh, when they walk into the house, she shows them a picture on the mantle of a young man. And my father feels, and that's probably what it was, um, that the young man in the photo was her her German army son. Mm-hmm. He was in the military. So she turned around and made them something to eat and then sent them on their merry way. So my father always said that he felt that she had fed them because 
they were in the same boat that her son was, even though he was on the opposing side, and probably hoping that someone would do something good for her son like she did for them. And when she fed them, they left, and they never went back into that, you know, to see her again. Wow. It's it's those things that connect us as human beings and uh, not because we wear a different uniform or, you know, we're of a different race or culture. And, um, yeah, and I think I had shared with you also, uh, I think it was a PBS documentary that I had seen. Uh, it was called The the Game of Soccer That No One Ever Knew Happened. And it happened uh, between these GIs that were also entrenched uh, during the wintertime. I think it was Christmas um, towards the, the end of the war. And they were they were basically pinned down uh, by these German soldiers. And uh, if I, I could be wrong, but I think it was it was Christmas or Christmas Eve, and they decided for the sake of the holiday to put their guns down, and they played a game of soccer. And it was, in, it was at nighttime, and then after that, they, um, they went back to, to war the next day. But for those brief hours, they were they were just soccer players, and uh, I believe one of them um, after the war was over. And I think you know what? Actually, I think it was Band of Brothers, um, and he went on to say that you know had had we not been at war, this guy could have been like my best friend. Um, so coming from a firsthand experience that your father had there, it's yeah, I think he. He, he was right, you know, it's for some, a total stranger and not only someone that doesn't even speak your language to, to do something that I, I guess for humanly, like just basic, something as food to bring, you know, bring that, bring that uh, perspective of like, hey, you know, if my son was in the same place, I would expect for someone to try to do the same thing for him. So I, I thought that was really like the, the bow of of the story that you told me. I was like, wow, I have to like share that. But I didn't want to share it with my own words. I thought it'd be <laughs> obviously more meaningful coming from you. Um, and okay, so then now after like he comes home, you know, transitions into civilian life and then obviously becomes husband, father, and then grandfather um, towards the end of his, um, I guess, and you mentioned to me, he did pass away not too long ago. and. Um, what kind of things, I would say, things, stories, memories kind of last with you from from his time after the war and being your grandpa? Well, he came, he came home and, like I said, he started working, taking care of his mother. And uh, I remember the day he said, the first time he saw my mom, he was out with his buddies and they were just on some street. They lived over here in central El Paso at the time. Mm-hmm. And my mom was walking with some other person, I don't remember who. And my dad saw her for the first time and he told his friends, You see that girl? I'm gonna marry her. And his friends are like, Yeah, right. <laughs> Six months later they were walking down the aisle. And the way he proposed to her was he took her to the movie theater and apparently my mom used to always wear some particular ring on her ring finger. Uh-huh. Well, my dad, while he was watching the movie, playing with her hands, he kind of slipped that ring off the finger and slipped the engagement ring. He slipped, kind of sly little dog there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it goes out sometimes. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and they got married. And uh, um, 
they they were married for 50 well 49 years before he passed away but uh and their wedding picture was always hung at my parents' home. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked my dad one day, I said, Dad, you're really not that tall. Why is there <laughs> such a difference between you and Mom? And he fessed up. He said that, you know, because my dad was only about, I guess, maybe an inch taller than my mother. Mm-hmm. And to make it look, the photographer thought to make it look, you know, a lot nicer, the picture. Mm-hmm. He got one of those, um, those, um, Stools. Those cases of soda that they sell in Juarez in Mexico. Yes. He stood them on that to take the picture. Oh. So I always, I always, so after that, I started calling my dad Shorty. And that name <laughs> stuck to him for forever. And then I grew taller than him, so it was even easier to call him Shorty. But he was always my Shorty. That was his nickname. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once you grew to be taller than him, was he ever like, how did you get this tall? <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, Dad, what happened to you? Because my mom's pretty little, but my dad, you know, for my dad was only five, five seven. Uh-huh. So to me, that was short because I'm five nine. So it's like, all right, you know, so I used to tease him about that all the time. But he would just get <laughs> such a kick out of it. Oh wow, bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Um, and finally, when you know they they buried him with honors, and um, you told me a little bit about how. Um, there was a touching moment um, from his childhood. Uh, one of the visitors that happened that that showed up and to pay his respects and uh, um, just kind of tell me a little bit about that. Well, that day really for me was a real blur. I, if you asked me who was at the funeral, I couldn't tell you, mm-hmm. except for this one gentleman. When we were at the cemetery, um, the soldiers came out and they played taps, and this old older gentleman comes up and he's got his World War II veteran cap on and we're all kind of like who's that and you know we didn't say anything of it he walked up to the casket and put a flower and walked away and then when the service was over my sister went and politely asked him you know who he was how he knew my father and stuff Mm -hmm. and um, I don't remember the gentleman's name unfortunately but he said that he knew my father from elementary school and he had seen the obit in the in the paper mm-hmm. and that he felt he needed to come and pay his respect because he was he was also a veteran so that's why he showed up to the funeral after so many years this gentleman remembered my dad from elementary wow i think my dad was shining, smiling down from heaven at him happy that he was there wow i thought that was so cool such a sweet little old man. I can still see his face. Such a sweet little old man. Yeah. Uh, and it's a testament to the type of impact that I feel sometimes as human beings. That's really what energy and, and the type of uh, how people may see you sometimes that you may not even acknowledge just by being nice to people or, you know, just, you know, I mean, in elementary, we're all kids, you know, so we're we're all still so innocent and you know, and I can imagine life was probably a lot simpler back then for them where maybe perhaps hide and go seek or playing, you know, you know, cops, you know, robbers and cops or, you know, Indians and cowboys was probably something that was uh, or even trading baseball cards, you know, and following uh-huh. the American pastime of the times um, that they probably shared some sort of a uh, you know kinship that was that stayed with this gentleman and years later he you know we come full circle um 
and you know one thing to also highlight as we kind of wrap up our conversation is that you know in years mind you after and I mean not ever meeting your father but for us to have a conversation uh, about his legacy now even speaks to that as to how you know unintentionally he touched even my you know my life where it's like you know what that is so powerful that somebody else's experience can have an impact on me and uh just to to have the the like the the energy to say hey i want to share this with other people you know it's it's uh it's really really cool that means a lot thank you oh yeah you're welcome thank you for for not only making the time but to go down memory lane i, I don't presume to think that you know it's it's an easy thing to always talk about um especially you telling me how much obviously he meant to you and uh adding you know uh, of course the historical aspect of it but you know he he was your father and 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 you know, when we get down to like i'm sure he didn't walk around like oh i'm captain america <laughs> but no <laughs> you know to you you like you share the story about shorty and, and all that like he was just your dad you know and just having that lens of like a family man someone that was hard working and you know did his duty and uh, you know something that you know we we as latinos and uh, obviously mexicanos we 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 can identify with you know um so i think from that perspective i think it's uh, it was a story that i felt like it needed to be to be heard um once again, you know, I, I thank you for the time. I know it's a Saturday, but uh, I'm sure you got a lot of things to do. But uh, I want to definitely thank you for the time and um, and sharing this wonderful story with us. Um, to me, I, I as being my first episode, I I, I got to tell you, it was not a second thought that I was like, this is going to be my first episode. Like, I have to do this. So... Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It means, it really, really does mean a lot. So, um, you know, I know your niece was going to, she's also a World War II, I would say, researcher. And mm-hmm. um, please, you know, if um, she ever wants to come on later on and we have a specific topic, I'd love to get her on and, you know, we can talk about certain aspects of it. But um, definitely thank you for the time again. And uh, I'll definitely reach out to you during the week. Okay, Ernesto, thank you so much. Thank you. Much love. Have I'll, a great I'll talk weekend. You too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.